Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, there's a lot I want to get into this morning, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna dive in. I want to start with a point of apologetics. Point of apologetics, just to get this out of the way, so that I can start talking about what I actually want to talk about, which is Paul's uh, letter to the Thessalonians. So, let's just start with this point. So, in the gospel, in the gospel, Jesus says plainly, "Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven." Now, if I were to begin this homily the way I typically do, I would have said, good morning, and you would have said, you heretics. What is wrong with you people, right? Good morning, good morning, Father. Yeah, what is the deal with that? It certainly seems as though we as Catholics are disobeying Jesus. At least that was, that was the point that was driven home to me by one of my good friends back in high school. He was a beautiful, non-denominational Christian, love him to death, and his dad drilled me as this recent revert to the Catholic faith. Why do you Catholics call priests father when Jesus clearly says to call no one on earth your father and you call the Pope the Holy Father, right? You're like, I don't, I don't know, right? I don't know. What I should have said then, but I didn't think of, I should have said, you know, Jesus also says plainly that if your right hand or your eye causes you to sin, you should cut it off and pluck it out. And I see, sir, that you have both your hands and both your eyes. You sinner, right? You hypocrite, right? I should have said that. I should have said that. So here's the thing, right? Let's get into this. What's the deal? How do we make sense of this? Three points I want to make about this. So Jesus is using in this section, he's using what we might call Semitic hyperbole. It's just a rhetorical teaching device. Just like you've heard any teacher, any person preaching, teaching, they, you know, they'll they'll exaggerate, they'll accentuate a point, they'll accentuate something to make the point, to drive it home. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Secondly, Jesus himself refers to the patriarchs, Israel's patriarchs, as the fathers. He himself refers to them as the fathers. Look at John chapter 7, verse 22, for my friend's Protestant dad listening, right? John 7, 22. Or Jesus himself refers to Abraham as Father Abraham. You know in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, right? Send Father Abraham to dip his finger in the water to cool my tongue. Third point, third point. Jesus, what he's trying to get across, he's making the point that all natural earthly fatherhood derives its nature, it participates in God's eternal fatherhood, right? We will say in the creed in just a moment, I believe in God the Father Almighty, omnipotente, the all-powerful, right? He is the all-potent one. All earthly fatherhood participates in God's all-powerfulness, right? Earthly fatherhood is a sign of God's supernatural, super eminently, super abundantly real fatherhood. That's the point he's making. And the person who really got this, the person who really understood, at least that last point, is St. Paul, who is writing to this little church in Thessalonica, this little community that had so clearly wrapped itself around his heart. I want to get to that in a second. But I, I want to say this too first, that just as an aside, I, fi- I find it astounding just providential and, and amazing that 
Like on the Sunday before, the, the last Sunday before the November 7th election, right? Before we, all Ohio voters will gather to, to vote on the proposed constitutional amendment, the abortion amendment, this extreme, awful, murderous, demonic amendment. Like the Sunday before that, the church gives us these readings where we hear about and we see images of fatherhood and motherhood, nursing, and the imagery, we heard it in the psalm, of a weaned child resting sweetly on his mother's lap. Like These are the images, right, that we hear on this Sunday. Like, and that's, that's what's at stake with all of this. That's what's at stake with all of this. Like, that, the, that is the ultimate beauty that the enemy wants to demolish. That like, all of our industry and economy, all of the technology we've ever developed, all of it, all of our cities and skyscrapers and Fortune 500 companies, every hospital, every courthouse, everything, everything is ultimately or ought to be ultimately about securing the possibility of that reality, the beauty of family life, mother, father, and child. Like that point was just so driven home to me a few years ago. I was at my friend's house, Anna and Owen, and they, were, they just brought home their first little baby girl named Zelly. She's my goddaughter. And uh, we're sitting in their family room. I'll never forget it, just watching my friend Anna, who had just become a mom, and she's sitting there holding her adorable little tiny daughter. And it was so unbelievably beautiful. Just so, um, like, watching her be lost in this gaze of love with her daughter, it was, it was so unbelievably beautiful. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, 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 this is the most beautiful thing that there is. And like everything out there, everything outside of this house, everything that is buzzing and happening outside of this house is for the sake of what's happening inside the house. Like everything out there is for the sake of what's happening right here in this moment. And the enemy, like that's what the enemy wants to destroy. That's what he's after. That's what's at stake with this November 7th election. Let me, let me return to the point that I wanted to make, that I'm going to make about St. Paul. This second reading, the words that he has to the church in Thessalonica. That This second reading, friends, this second reading just absolutely wrecked me this week. Just destroyed me. It's, it stands out in really stark contrast to what we hear in the first reading, what we hear in the gospel, right? Because in the first reading... God is speaking through the prophet Malachi, and God, through the prophet, is laying waste. He's leveling this harsh critique to the priests who had abandoned their role. And Jesus, right, God in the flesh, is doing the same thing. He's leveling this harsh critique against the Pharisees, against those who were intended by God to be spiritual fathers. That's who God's priests were supposed to be. That's who God's priests are, who they are supposed to be. That's what they're supposed to do. We're supposed to exercise not just a priestly role, but a fatherly role to feed and to nourish God's people with, with sound teaching, with instruction and guidance, and to protect from enemies and from error and from lies and His priests were always supposed to love deeply and affirm and correct and bless and all of that. Like they were supposed to be, we're supposed to be living icons of the Heavenly Father. 
And neither the priests in Malachi's day or neither the priests in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, they weren't doing it. They stopped doing it. And then you have St. Paul. Then you have St. Paul. Listen, listen again to this imagery that St. Paul uses to, to share his heart, to express his heart. By the way, these are some of the earliest writings that we have in the New Testament. His letter to the Thessalonians. He's expressing his spiritual fatherhood. And again, listen to the imagery that he uses. We were gentle among you as, as a nursing mother cares for her children. Like, I was attuned to your hunger. I was attuned to your desires. I knew what you were looking for. And so I fed you. I fed you with the truth. I fed you with the beauty. I fed you with goodness. I fed you with Jesus. And he adds this. With such affection for you, we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves as well. So dearly beloved had you become to us. Like he's saying, I didn't want to just tell you about him. I didn't want to just, it wasn't just simply about a transmission of information. It wasn't just simply about, can, can you understand or memorize enough new data? It wasn't about just telling them a story. He wanted to share the very gift of himself. He wanted to share life with them. He wanted to share himself with them. He wanted to enter into their world. He wanted to embody this for them. And then he said, for this reason, we, we too give thanks to God unceasingly that in receiving the word of God from hearing us, you received not a human word, but as it truly is, the word of God, which is now at work in you who believe. In another one of Paul's writings, in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul will say this, and listen, listen to this. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. So again, Paul, right? Paul who's saying, I became your father through the preaching of the gospel. Like here, this, is, this is Paul who who was Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, Paul who knows of himself, who thinks of himself, who says of himself, I am the first of sinners, I am the worst of the sinners. Paul who says, I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I do. Right? Paul who knows his weakness, he knows himself as this earthen vessel, and nevertheless, Paul who is just in awe of the fact that through the instrumentality of his own humanity, he's exercising this priestly, and fatherly role that he's sharing himself with these people, that he allowed himself to become so vulnerable to fall in love with them, to care for them. I mean, you hear about Paul talking about the tears that he sheds for his people, that he entered into their world, and he preached. And what he preached, it had, life, it had life-changing power. Like, he, he became like the sower that Jesus talks about in the gospel, right? Like the sower who went out to sow. He, he preached and he sowed and he, he spoke about Jesus everywhere he went. And some seed fell on the path. Some seed fell among thorns. Some seed fell on shallow ground, rocky ground. And some seed, it fell on rich, fertile soil. And it, 
bore an abundant harvest. Like, what Paul sees is that he's like, through me, the word of God, not words about God, but the word of God. Who is the word of God, right? In the beginning, John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things came to be through him. There was nothing that came to be without him. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus is the word. This is what Paul is saying. I preached Jesus to you, that through my speech, Jesus was communicated to you. In your hearts, he found fertile soil. That what Paul saw was that like the word of God, the seed of immortality, that through him he had impregnated the hearts of these people, and they were filled with new life. And Paul could say with astonishment, like he's saying to this church in Thessalonica, I begot something in you. What? Faith. Jesus. Like, through me, Jesus put himself into your hearts, and he began to grow there and gestate there. This is why he says, I give thanks to God unceasingly. He's like, who is Paul to do this? That in receiving the word of God from hearing us, you received it, not as a human word, but as it truly is, the word of God, which is now at work in you who believe. Like these people, they were open, and they were receptive, and they were willing to be fathered. And it changed their lives, and it changed the world. And if I, if I may take a page out of St. Paul here and not just share the gospel with you, but to share my very self with you, to share my heart with you this morning, I, I, let me say this, that one of the most astonishing, astounding things about being ordained a priest is that immediately after it's over with, right, the, the ordination ends, you go back to the sacristy, you change out of your vestments that you're wearing for the first time, you walk out of the cathedral sacristy into the cathedral, and there's just a sea of people, and everyone starts calling you Father. People who are younger than you, people who are my friends that I've grown up with, people who are decades older than me, it's the same thing, Father. And it, it, it took me a long time, several years, honestly, to get used to it. But to be totally honest, there are still moments where just someone calling out, Father Pat, takes me completely by surprise. Like receiving from God the Father the gift of the priesthood and entering into this reality of spiritual fatherhood has been the single greatest gift of my life. It, it is a joy, it's a joy beyond imagining. It is challenging beyond words. It would be, it would be so easy if it wasn't for the people. 
I'm just kidding. It is challenging beyond words, but man, it is, it is filled to overflowing with so many, so many unspeakably beautiful little moments that, that, that you wish you could like put on the vocation poster and say, it's like this, but you can't capture it. There's a million little moments, a million little miracles, a million little things that, that I'll get to take to my grave. And just, just, like, just like, I imagine, just like every natural father, the greatest regrets, the greatest sorrow, the greatest shame that I have in all of this comes from my failures as a father. Like when in my humanity, my arrogance, my, my haste, my, my busyness, when all of that, when I, when I failed to see you along the way, when I failed to pause, or when I didn't return a phone call right away, or an email right away, or moments where I like, I regret moments where I was scared to share maybe like a full hard truth with like all of you in a homily or scared to share some tough interpersonal truth with somebody face to face, you know. Or I'm sorry for the moments where I didn't communicate effectively like the vision of where we're going or why things are changing or why we're moving in a particular direction. Look, I'm not as, one of, my, one of my buddies, he puts it this way, he's a teacher, he's a lecturer, he says all the time, I'm not the sage on the stage. Because I'm just a guide by the side with you. And like, the only thing that I'm an expert in is my own sinfulness and Jesus' mercy. And, and I know his heart because of that. And he shares his heart with me. And there are moments that There are moments when I can barely stand how much is his love for you when he lets me taste it. I'm just a 34, almost 35-year-old father to thousands. And how old are the kids? There's about a century between the youngest and the oldest. And man, if there's, if there's one thing that I know for certain, it's that I really, I love loving you. And in case I hadn't said it lately, thank you for letting me father you. For being receptive and fertile soil. Amen.